This is CNT Talk. Every week, two friends debate the issues of the ages as we agree to disagree. It's never politically correct, but it's always entertaining. Join us tonight so you can sound knowledgeable at work tomorrow. We're smacking you upside the head with the hammer of truth. Welcome to the show. Hello, hello. Uh, we've got another interesting show. I, we do? Uh, well, I, I hope that's what I'm going to say at the end. Uh, that is to be determined. Sure. Uh, listeners determine if it is interesting. I can just go into it saying it's interesting. I'm excited, though, because I don't know what it's about. So, so I'm excited is, that it will be interesting. This is typical for you. Uh, amusing artist. Again, you've got another interesting title. I like, what was mine last week? I like that better. Something emoji. I can't remember what it was. You have to listen to it again. Right. Um, so there's so many things to start with, but I, I want to, I kind of, I titled this whole thing, I call them as I see them. And I, I listened to a, a podcast uh, recently and it was talking about um, racial wealth inequality. Um, and it was on NPR, so you know, take that for what it is. And, and it got me thinking about uh, Seattle and Portland and Minneapolis, and you, you name the place where there's an aggrieved party. And I just started thinking more and more about what that means, because the, the gentleman who's speaking is a full professor, chair of the Department of Economics at uh, Ohio State. And he's been studying economics for 15 years, and everything is racial in his profiles. Everything is about race. Uh, yeah. he, he is a black man. Uh, and his, his theory on how to fix the racial financial inequality was to basically give reparations to all the minorities in the country. Uh, well, it's not exactly a new idea. It, it's not a new idea. He said it's the most progressive idea. Uh, then he talked about something I hadn't heard about, which is um, baby bonds. You know what that, that is? Have you heard of that? Uh, no, but I'm. It is. I'm assuming, of course, it's another government payment. Uh, that is what an investment in the future of their children. Is that the idea? Basically, every child born in the country gets some sort of bond, savings bond type of vehicle, to start out life. And every African American child, or every child. Well, and that's where he had a little problem with it because it wasn't exclusively towards race. He said, we, we got into this problem based on race. We can't get out of it by ignoring race, which is an interesting conversation. But it's basically you give, um, based on your income level of the parent, it's a sliding scale as to how much you get. So it, it would disproportionately, in his opinion, uh, benefit African-Americans because they're poor to start with. But it would give everybody something to, to use later in life for whatever they wanted to do with it. Um, but it's basically, it sounds a lot like a guaranteed income sure. process. Uh, and I, I thought to myself, don't we already do something like that? It's called social security. We give you money that you may or may not have earned, uh, from other people. Uh, it, it just, it, it just all kind of coalesced for me. And I thought, now let me, let me get this straight. So, and he was, he was referencing the, the riots in, in number of cities right now, but he, he referenced the 1968 riots when Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated, and it made me think, why, why were there riots because a crazy madman killed another man? Why, did, why was there a riot over that? It wasn't the police that did it. It wasn't the government that did it. 
It was a crazy man who, James Earl Ray, who killed Martin Luther King Jr. Why would you riot after that unless it was an opportunity riot versus an actual reason to riot? Is there ever an actual reason to riot? I don't think there is, but we've, we've come to the point where we're accepting that whether you call them peaceful protests or, or whatever you want to call them, it doesn't change the fact that it's an excuse. So they're using George Floyd as a, as a lightning rod. But well, they're not even, just, I mean, let's be serious. They're not even using George Floyd anymore. I mean, well, they're not even pretending some that are, this is any, most for the them. last month and a half, this has had, well, first of all, it never really had much to do with George Floyd to begin with. Correct. Um, of course it's an opportunity riot. That's exactly what they always are. There's always some multiple other reasons why they want to riot. Many of them want to riot because they just want to destroy things. They want to sow chaos. They want to, they hate America. They hate Americans. They want to, um, burn, loot, pillage, do whatever they can. 99% of the woke white, it's interesting. Almost all of these rioters, they're all white. Okay. Almost all of them. Now, when we saw the initial riots in the immediate aftermath of George Floyd, yeah, there was a lot of African-Americans. But if you look in these cities, particularly right now, Seattle and Portland, the epicenter of the ongoing Antifa uh, thuggery attacks on federal courthouses, almost all these people are white. And in fact, you see all these videos where these white people are screaming epithets at African-American police. Race, racist comments, screaming at them. This, this has never had anything much to do with George Floyd, and it has everything to do with a bunch of people who sought, as you said, an opportunity to destroy, uh, who detest this country, who are Marxist, communist. I mean, it's the, it's the same gaggle of people that you see. Remember when we had the Occupy Wall Street? Yeah. Right. It was the same crew. It's the same groups of people, the far left. Unfortunately, it's no longer the fringe. It's now basically the group of people that control the Democratic Party. That that's what has changed. And I agree with all that. And I think for me, our friend was silent. This is a evangelical Christian who basically lambasted anybody who has even a one iota of positive comments about Donald Trump or anybody associated with Donald Trump. And he basically, I haven't heard him come out and directly say, yes, I support the rioters, but I haven't heard him condemn the rioting either. And on Friday, it was a Friday night or Saturday night, uh, the protesters in Portland decided to burn Bibles in front of the police, the federal building. They burned sure. Bibles and not a word was said from this man. Nothing. I, I'm, I'm, I'm tired of the hypocritical nature, and we're probably all guilty of it as well, but I'm tired of the hypocritical nature. When it, when it suits your purposes, it's okay to just pile on. And Donald Trump said some stupid things over the last week in some interviews. But if you're being, if you're being upright and honest, you have to call what you see. You have to... You can't say, well, they have a legitimate cause, except now they're burning Bibles. And now where, where do we put the line and say, you know what? Too much. Too much. Calling. You know what, Trump though? It's funny. I mean, it's funny to me, though. We're obviously we're both Christians, but the burning of the Bibles, it's not that it doesn't bother me, 
but it's that's just pure performance theater right i mean that, yeah. that's kind of the same thing as remember piss christ right all it, it, so that to me is what i expect i expect that sort of thing because it's almost as if they want to get a rise out of the usual suspects who they know will be very very upset by that um i am far more concerned and appalled by what's going on that's not symbolic. I mean, they, uh, they also, uh, they, they call off a pig's head, yeah. threw it on an American flag, uh, you know, either put, well, they put like a police hat on it or whatever. Okay. So, so all this, this is this, this juvenile, let's see what I can do to make mommy and daddy really, really upset. Right. Right. But the stuff that is serious to your point that is being completely ignored or at best sort of tepidly. Yeah. That, I, I'm opposed to that. Yeah. I don't like that, but wait a minute. You, you know, and it's not just him. You've expended months upon months of moral outrage at every single thing that Donald Trump does, including tweeting, right? And now we have people who are attacking law enforcement with commercial grade lasers who I was just actually looking at, I, I forget where I saw this, but somebody did posted a number of pictures uh, did a sort of a three-hour walk through what used to be downtown Seattle. And it is astonishing. And we're talking about completely boarded up buildings for miles that used to be thriving businesses. You've got open drug deals going on in the middle of the day on street corners. And, and of course, the media isn't showing any of this because it's not helpful to Joe Biden's campaign. And so you won't see this on ABC, NBC, MSNBC. You won't hear about it on NPR. But there are sections of downtown Seattle that basically look like Escape from New York. It looks like a yeah. post- apocalyptic deserted there's and and the point this guy made is and he's lived there for most of his life i never saw in the three hours that i walked probably four or five miles not a single police officer anywhere while while the drug deals go on and this is during broad daylight can you imagine what's going on at night and yet this is the condition of a major american city with feckless and in my view, it's beyond feckless. It is um, maliciously intending not to protect their citizenry from the mayor to the governor to the city council. These people would rather just allow their city to descend into chaos. And I, I mean, I fully anticipate and what I would expect Trump to do is you just need to show people a steady diet of these pictures from Portland, from Seattle, from Minneapolis, from St. Louis, and say, if you want Joe Biden and their agenda, this is what you get for America. And our friend would call that fear-mongering. Yes. And that's very, very bad. But it's not fear-mongering. It's reality. This is – but you know what? I'm not even sure if he and many others even know this, right? Because how would they? They're not watching it. You can't – I contend – and I expect what happened in Seattle and Portland and Minneapolis to happen with the crowd that's there. And I'm not, I'm not outraged that they burn Bibles because I do agree that it's juvenile and they're just trying to pull stunts and get attention. I'm upset with our friend because, as you said, he's railed for 
three years, uh, three plus years about Donald Trump and hawking his books and making sure everybody buy my book, buy my book, look at me, look at me, look at me. But he's not morally outraged that he's supporting what they're saying. He's not supporting everything they're doing. I'm not saying that. But he's not outraged by what's going on. He simply, he, he just goes back to Donald Trump tweeted this and Donald Trump's fear-mongering. I would contend that his efforts are also fear-mongering. He's allowing these riots to just be okay because Trump caused this. This is Trump's fault that George Floyd was killed. I, I don't know how. I don't know how Donald Trump is right. responsible. Well, for that. you don't need to. That's just a given. That's axiomatic now. You don't really actually have to make the case and connect the dots. It just is because he's responsible for everything bad. Well, and isn't that the, the craziest part? We're talking about blaming a president. Now, we have talked about this many, many times in the past. The president doesn't have nearly as much power as people give the president, and they don't have none. So it's somewhere in between. But the expectation is because you're president, the buck stops with you. That's a, that's a Harry Truman uh, phrase. So if the buck stops with the president, that means ultimately those who are responsible to the president have to report for what, hap- what they do. But Donald Trump isn't in charge of Minnesota. That's Waltz and Fry who this week are going after each other, trying to blame each other for how badly right. they mangled that situation. Well, the other thing is, is not only that he's not in charge, this gets back to the he can't win. So – He's either responsible because, again, that's the unified field theory that Trump is responsible for everything. But also, the minute that he then does try to intervene, then we hear the shrieking about martial law and and tyranny and get out and the federal agents are what are the cause for the rioting, which, of course, is a a flat-out, almost incredibly brazen lie. These riots were going on. The reason that they were there, do you think they just went when it was for no reason because they wanted to descend upon Portland? No. No. These people have been rioting for a month, attacking the federal courthouse, and that's why they're there. But the narrative becomes it's because of Trump and his stormtroopers. There's just – there's nothing that he can do that would satisfy them. So this all circles around for me is victim. So I – I want you to think about these riots and and everything else, reparations and everything else we talk about, and think of it from a different perspective. Not that it's a social contract or it's morally right to do something for somebody else. It, It basically, it's victimhood status. And we talked about it in the past a little bit, but I want to I want to really point that out. Every time somebody says you owe me something to owe you something you have to have been aggrieved and you have to be the victim and this gentleman i was listening to earlier today he basically said all black people come from abject poverty and all white people don't that's that was his thesis that uh, a, a high school dropout has thirty five thousand dollars of average wealth and a college graduate black man has $25,000 of wealth. So obviously it wasn't education. It was just that they started out so low that they couldn't even get high enough to, to defeat a, a college or a high school dropout. Now, I don't know where he's talking about a high school dropout in his 30s that has $35,000 to get to rub together. I, I find that hard to believe in the United States, but maybe I'm wrong. Wait, you find it hard to believe because you think they have more? I think they have less. Do you think a high school oh, dropout yeah. in the uh, United I States, I don't know, we're getting thirty five grand. 
I, I truly believe that this is just, it's false data creating a false paradigm, creating a false uh, outcome. And I'm, I'm just tired of somebody, aren't, aren't people tired of being told you are wrong simply for existing? You are wrong and you can't make up for it. But if you give us money, maybe, just maybe, we won't ask for more. But you know we will. So just keep giving us money. Well, whoever we are. I mentioned this before that um, one of the guys that I admire that talks about these, the dominant racial issues that seem to be everything that anyone discusses these days is John McWhorter, who's a a public intellectual. He's a linguist. He teaches at Columbia. He's an African-American. He is not a Donald Trump fan. He is a civil rights advocate, but he is incredibly skeptical and critical of the current woke gospels, BLM, because he thinks ultimately that it's incredibly counterproductive, meaning it's a, as he calls it, it's a focus on white absolution, which does, it, which does nothing for the betterment of African-Americans. But the point that he makes about reparations is he said, you know what? I could get on board philosophically with the idea of reparations. I mean, he does believe, and I think there's there's legitimacy to this, that, that clearly there are still economic ramifications as a result of slavery. Now, do those ramifications mean that every time there is a disproportionate standing uh, economically between a minority and a white American. And by the way, white Americans are not at the top of the food chain in terms of annual standard of living and annual earnings, which is interesting because you would assume based on these arguments that it's always white people, number one, and then all the other immigrants below them. And in fact, the Caucasians rank 12th, 13th, when you start breaking out various ethnicities, Indian people, Japanese people, right? But here's the point. McWhorter says, I could get on board with the idea that certain reparations should be paid if I was convinced that after that happened, the usual suspects, all of the racial grievance mongers, Al Sharpton, all of these phony civil rights activists, right? The leaders of BLM would say, you know what? We are satisfied. This is a major uh, leap forward and we're good to go. And he says, that of course is never, ever going to happen because the very next day, those people would be complaining about something else. And so he opposes it because he recognizes that it's all a shakedown. There is never going to be satisfactory atonement for the claim that white skin is original sin and you must continue to pay. And again, the people that are paying are not really the people that had anything to do with it. So I think that's a very good point. Is it if you believe that this in any way, shape or form would satisfy and you know why it wouldn't? Because there goes their industry, right? There goes the, their reason for existence. If they can't continue to complain about oppression and marginalization and both profit off of that and gain political power off of that, they're done. So they don't, they can never concede. We've, th- this is great. Th- this is a huge stride forward. They don't even concede. We've moved forward from 1960, right? We're well, perpetually frozen in time. And I think that's the, that's the point, because if we go back to 1960, then we have to admit that democratic 
govern states, cities, have been an abject failure. And if we if the Democrats admit that, then why would you keep voting for them? So they're never. We are always going to have something. We got, you got to keep us in power so we can get you that something. But they never actually get you the something. I feel like it's a you're at a dog track and, and the little rabbit is running around and you're always trying to chase that rabbit. You're never going to get that rabbit. You are never going to catch it because it can't be caught. And you're going to tire out long before you ever get to the end of that. That's the problem. We always want more. And these groups always want more. And there's always another grievance to file. There's always somebody to pay more, pay through the nose. Did you see today? Bernie Sanders wants to have a 60% tax on billionaires who made a profit from March 18th till the end of the year. 60% of what <laughs> of they've made. In fact, guys, go to the government. Well, why, why stop at 60%? I I'm mean, come on, It's Bernie. not 100%. But it's, it's you, you profited during the, pan, during the pandemic, so therefore you should not keep that money. It should go back to the people. Well, what, I'm not even what that's supposed to mean. You profited. Well, you profit on other people's suffering. Other people how, how were suffering. Well, they, they lost I mean, their jobs. Bernie they, couldn't even explain that if he, he tried. Well, um, Kristen Gillibrand was a co-author on it, so don't get too excited. It, it's going nowhere, but 60%. So uh, Jeff Bezos would owe like $43 billion to this fund. It, it, it is... I'm not a Jeff Bezos fan. Do you, by the way, do you get do you get credit for philanthropy? Is that a nope. set off against your wicked profits? How does that work? Nope, nope. This is just a straight up. You made money during this period of time. Boom, you lose sixty percent of it. It's going to the people. What whatever that means to pay for health insurance. I'm like, so you're going to take it from the rich and give it to health insurance companies? Really? Well, by the way, again, why are we why are we limiting our a Marxist class struggle to billionaires because I'm pretty sure that Bernie made money yep. over the last six months. Well, it doesn't so apply to him. Why wouldn't, why wouldn't that apply to everyone? Well, because they don't want to apply to him and he doesn't want it to apply to him. That would be crazy. Craziness, man. Crazy. I have seven houses. That's I mean, whatever. Does, does Bernie own stocks? Does he have any money in the market? Because if he's made money, if his personal income has increased, I'm not sure why, based on that logic, he would be insulated from this uh, COVID penalty. Well, he didn't right? write any books this year so far, so therefore he's not getting that book royalty coming in. So he said, if you want to be successful, just write a successful book. That's that's the simple fact, right? Do that. Right. Uh, or code. Learn to code. Or learn to code. <laughs> Take those coal miners and make them coders. Uh, the Democrats pushed a massive... $137 billion tax break for the wealthy. Did you see that today? Um, no. Well, it's, but, well, I vaguely, it sort of is in the recesses of my mind. Yeah. Uh, and, and I really try to pay, to pay no attention now whatsoever to whatever kooky legislative proposals that are emanating from uh, the House. It, it's basically to get the... Um, New Yorkers to come back to New York. <laughs> I did see that. Right. I, I, well, I saw an article where Cuomo, uh, again, after he and de Blasio have created uh, Thunderdome in, in New York, uh, now begging all of the wealthy people who surprise have fled to more friendly environs, both health wise and economically and, and appealing to their sort of uh, provincial duty 
to yes. come back we can tax you. and support New York. And it's incredible. <laughs> and as if this is entirely divorced from the policies that these people have been enforcing for the last four, six years. It's absolutely incredible. It's the same thing that they do when they get morally outraged by corporations that flee the United States without mentioning the fact that they favor the highest corporate tax rate in the industrial world. And and somehow it's like, how dare you? How dare you flee from our punitive confiscatory taxation? Basically, you need to come back and accept the misery with the rest of us. <laughs> right? That's the argument. Well, Cuomo offered to buy them a drink if they come back, which oh. has to be a campaign finance violation of some sort. The Blasio doesn't necessarily want them to come back. He just doesn't want them to buy cars or drive. Right. But, I mean, isn't so. it cr- incredible, Chad? You, for instance, do you think there might be a fleeting thought in, in the mind of responsible leader Mario Cuomo that – Maybe what I should say, instead of offering to buy them not an oversized drink, uh, Nurse Bloomberg would be opposed to that, but a drink, maybe I should change some of the policies that have driven all of these people to leave. Do you think that would even cross his mind that that cause and effect relationship might be something that should be reexamined? No, no, no. Wouldn't want to do that. That would that would be a problem. So CNN seems to be coming up with the idea that Republicans really want mail-in voting and Trump is wrong. Um, not sure why they well, think that. What kind of voting? Mail-in. Mail-in ballots. Oh, I see. Yeah. They, okay. They said uh, Majority Whip John Thune from uh, South Dakota says, I don't want to discourage. I think we, have, we want to assure people it's going to work. It's secure. And if they vote that way, it's going to count. That doesn't sound like he's pushing back on Trump. It just says if you do it, we're still going to count it. Right. The integrity of the system. Yes. But as we've seen, even in these small scale experiments in certain statewide elections, um, in fact, isn't there one right now in New York where they're going to be counting? They've been counting for a month. Yes. Yes. It should be a fast process. Now, the contention from a lot of people is, well, in, in the 19th century, they counted by hand and they did mail-in ballots and whatever. They didn't have mail-in ballots necessarily. But they also had a lot less people to count. I, yeah. I mean, let's, let's be honest. There was, I think it was 60 million people at the turn of the 19th and the 20th century. Now, it's still a lot of people. But it's not 330 million, and it's not 330 million are voting, obviously. It's well, the other best part about that argument is now, wait a minute. These are all the same enlightened people who hate everything about antiquity, right? It's right. everything until yesterday is the worst thing ever. But <laughs> apparently, the one thing that was great that we should model is voting in the 19th century, well, right? We shouldn't model anything else, right. but that's what, we, that's what we need to implement. Well, and I think most people don't understand the election was held the, the first Tuesday in November and the president was inaugurated in March because it took sometimes months to count. And it also and I know the Electoral College still has to certify in mid-December, but it took him that long to get to Washington because travel was a little slower in those days. You know, they, they couldn't just hop on a plane and be in D.C. from anywhere in the country that day. Uh, so it, 
there's things left over, but we don't necessarily have to duplicate those now just because. Now, absentee balloting, I see a purpose. Mass mail-in, we've talked about. Mail-in balloting is not the same thing as absentee balloting. No, it's, it, it, let's put it this way. I, I moved recently, and I have my mail forwarded. I got a bill that was, that was dated uh, July 6th. I got it on August 5th, and it was due August 1st. That was the mail at work here. A- am I confident that the United States Postal Service, whether you like them or hate them, can get this, get this right, that you can, you can get 130 mail-in ballots to the right place in time accurately? Do, do I trust that's happening? No. I, I do not trust that in the slightest that that's going to happen. And far be it for me to be cynical. Um, <laughs> but we also have to consider the fact that the United States Postal Service Union uh, yes. is a large donor to, oh, let yes. us guess, Chad, the Ooh. Democratic Party. That's shocking. So the people, not necessarily the people on the street, I understand that in the trucks, but nevertheless, you have an organization just like any other public sector union who is in the pocket of the Democratic Party. They're the ones that are going to be placed in charge. And ask yourself, if the opposite scenario prevailed, would the, would the Democrats allow that? In other uh, words, no. let's say if the NRA was running uh, all of the mail-in balloting process, yes. uh, hiring very, very reputable independent contractors. No. So here's the deal. And, and what, what this comes down to is a fundamental disagreement about voting. I've said this before. I don't want the maximum amount of people to vote. Absolutely not. Rock the vote, get out the vote. No, no. There is a bare minimum civic responsibility that comes with voting. What that amounts to is you actually have to get off your couch, get in your car, and go to a polling place. It's also, I would hope, your responsibility to be, I don't know, generally informed about who's actually running for election. Now, it's not a prerequisite. I'm not going to ban anybody. But the <laughs> point is this idea that we should make it easier and easier to vote to the point where the citizen has to do nothing is crazy to me. I don't want people who know nothing, who can be enticed to the polls with cigarettes and a panel van. I don't want them voting. Because they're going to dilute my vote. And so if you can't bother yourself to get up before 6 p.m. on the date of the presidential election and you can't figure out how to cast a provisional ballot and it's too hard for you to obtain a voter, a photo of yourself from the DMV, then I'm sorry. You know what? That's fine. You really shouldn't be voting perfectly content to have all of those people not participating in the process because they've chosen not to participate. And of course, I know that makes me a supporter of Jim Crow and disenfranchisement and all of that, but that's my view. The Democratic Party basically, I guarantee you, if you proposed texted in voting, I joke about this, they would be all for it. Just text in your vote for the president. And isn't that how it's supposed to be? Just text it in? Sure. American Idol style? Uh, Yeah, I was going to call you a Jim Crow supporter, but you did it for yourself. It's interesting you bring up the NRA, and you didn't know this. I wasn't necessarily going to bring this up, but uh, the New York AG uh, yeah, I saw to this. fund the, the NRA. <laughs> I'm like, uh, tell, okay. tell me what the New York AG wants to do. 
She wants to take away. She said that basically the hierarchy of the NRA has been running rampant for decades and is lining their own pockets with the dues from the card carrying members uh, to the tune of lost $63 million over the last three years. I would say it's probably other reasons, but uh, it's been incorporated in New York state for reasons I don't understand. uh, And she's going to try to get rid of it. You know, and what was the headline I saw that uh, she's going to defund or she's going to get rid of the NRA. Uh, inadvertently, she just gave an in-kind donation to Trump's re-election campaign. That's right. That was the alternative headline. <laughs> New York AG gives massive campaign contribution to Donald Trump. So you're like, wait a minute. Oh, yeah, I got that. That's pretty good. Uh, but I love. I also love the bit about, you know, um, taking people's dues and use like, hmm, maybe the follow up question should be. What's your view of public and private sector unions? Yeah, I don't. I mean, I, I'm not an NRA member. If you want to be an NRA no, member, go nor ahead. I. But I, I don't expect that those dues are just sitting in a coffer somewhere, waiting for a Scrooge McDuck to dive into them. I, I assume they're used for something, whether it's lining the pockets of the. If you give money to a business, do you expect it to still be sitting back in the in the till when you're done, or do you think he's going to use it? The guy who well, business? this is yet another one of the the fables that the media uh, perpetrates. Go take a look. There, there's uh, databases on this. In fact, I forget the name of the organization where they track lobbying contributions. The NRA is portrayed in the media as this monolith, right? The 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 juggernaut of lobbying, the most powerful force in Washington, other than, of course, the Israel lobby. Uh, the reality is that if you look at the list, they don't even crack. I think the top seventy-five, <laughs> the top a hundred, and guess who does on the top ten? You're going to see at least three different unions. Yep. Now, remember, unions, oh, wait, they're not lobbyists. Oh, no, no, no. no, no. Yeah. Um, the teachers' union, uh, the public sector unions, all of them. And now I'll give you one guess, Chad. Uh, if you fail this, you're going to have to shut down the podcast. <laughs> Where is that money going? There's no pressure here, but I think it's going to the Democratic Party. Is it not? Yes. It, 100%. <laughs> okay. And yet somehow... The NRA is a colossus that bestrides the globe, dominating Washington, D.C. And it's not even In a union. Money, they're, they're not even a player. Well, you point that out. It's a voluntary organization for you to join. You voluntarily give your money. Union, they just take it out of your paycheck. It's not a voluntary option. You pay them whether you like it or not, and they do what they want with your money. This is, a, this is an organization you give money to. If you don't like them, you don't join them, and you don't give them money. That's pretty simple. Unions, can you say the same thing? No, you cannot. Well, you, you've forgotten all about the mind control beans. Oh, yes, the mind control. And the people don't have free choice. The, sure. you know, the, it's promoted on Rush Limbaugh, and there's hypnotic suggestion, and it's all part of the, uh, I think, the chemtrails as well. The NRA has their own planes, <laughs> and so there really is no ability to voluntarily choose not to be part of the NRA. You don't seem to grasp this, Chad. I, I don't. Uh, I want to switch a little bit here, and I'm going to put you on the spot. Uh, we're, we're fast approaching mid August, which will soon be late August, which will soon be fall for school. Are your children going to attend school in person? One, one is your local school offering in person schooling. And if so, are your children attending? 
Uh, it is offering, although not a full slate of in-person schooling, it's going to be every other day. Okay. And yes, they are attending, um, even though I'm not very happy about you and I've talked about this. We're not going to do it again. There's simply no reason not to be having five days a week of school. None, right. none whatsoever. It's not supported by any data. It's not supported by the science. It's completely ridiculous. Okay. Do I, I don't blame the teachers. I don't blame the school districts. They're following the edicts of, uh, the benevolent <laughs> dictator who's running Pennsylvania. I get it. Um, and, and other States as well. Uh, but, um, yes. Yeah, so, it is a sort of a Hobson's choice. They will be doing that. Uh, I don't think it's going to be a very effective learning environment, unfortunately. Uh, but I guess this is the this is the world we live in. Either that, or we're all going to go into a compound in the woods. I will train them to <laughs> kill wild game with Bowie knives, and uh, we will start digging our uh, doom prepping shelter. That, that's the other. That's option B. Okay. So people probably don't know this, but at one point your children were homeschooled. That, that is correct. And that's not, not the alternative you want to go back to at this point. No, and, and the only reason, I mean, we, we made a mutual decision uh, that homeschooling becomes, as they get older, I mean, look, I, I have a tremendous admiration for people that do that with their kids all the way through high school. And by the way, it's not, you know, we're by ourselves in a shack in the woods. And, yeah, I didn't mean to imply uh, that. <laughs> you know, no, we, we actually, for, you know, for five, six, seven years, our children never met any other person. They only, they communed <laughs> with the birds. Other. No, there, there's available curriculum. There's, there's classes, all that stuff. But it, we had just made the decision that it had become a lot for my wife, who was the one that had to do it all. And um, so we put them in all of them in, in public school and it's been fine. We, we like the school district we're in. Yeah. I mean, you, you moved there for that reason. I mean, you wanted to move to a place where yeah, in terms of choosing between different school districts where we live now, we liked the district we're in now. Yeah. So my daughter, uh, is going back face to face school and they are doing five days a week. They gave us the option of doing, um, you could do cyber school. Uh, you could do homeschooling with the curriculum they provide, or you can use somebody else's, uh, you can do synchronous video, basically where they set up a monitor in the room that represents you with the live students in the room with you. Um, and, and you, I guess, participate or whatever. It's, 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 that's just, that's kind of, that's just creepy. It is creepy. And I think that was the problem. I'm like, I don't know. It was a little more structured for my daughter. But, and I was reading about this today. There are certain children who just aren't, they aren't cut out at least at, at the age that she's at to be an on your own learner. You know, when you, give well, when you say kids. certain, I think that's true of almost every kid. And I don't think it's limited to younger kids. I think on remote learning is very, very difficult. Can be. Uh, yes. It's just attention spans, the, the whole, the whole gamut. It is just not, the immediacy is not there. We really, it was a struggle for us at the end of last school year when it all went to remote learning because no one was allowed to be in school. And, uh, I just think it's a very difficult environment, even for kids that are very good students to thrive in. And I think that's where I'm looking at. So there was an article from CNN business today that said, um, schools coming up and about 15% of the workforce may be required to drop out just to homeschool their children or at least participate in the teaching process. Uh, because think 
if we think about this, and I, I never really thought about school in this way, but school is a, it's a daycare of sorts for your children. It's not exclusively that. I mean, obviously, it's a learning environment, but you drop your kids off in the morning or the bus picks them up, and they're there for a couple hours, and they come home. If you don't have that, how do you go to work? Because not everybody can work from home indefinitely. So how do you go to work if your kids are at home all day, especially if they're younger? You really can't. So It's a major problem. It's a major problem. And one of the answers is going to be kids are going to be home all day by themselves. That's not Let's not pretend. Well, it's going to happen. I mean, people are going to say, I need to work or I can't afford to live. There's a lot of people don't have the financial wherewithal to be like, oh, okay, well, we'll just – We'll put them in a daycare or we'll, you know, we'll hire an all pair. That shouldn't be a problem. No. So this, this is, these are the kind of things that we talk about in terms of the non-economic costs yeah. of these policies where families are being disrupted. As you said, there, there's families that are relying on a certain period of time every day where they know their kids are going to be able to be in school. Well, it's not an easy fix to just say, oh, well, maybe I'll just have to go get a new job. Maybe I'll have to talk to my boss about, you know what? Unfortunately, I can only come in three days a week now. Yeah, that's not that's not going to work. No, no. I mean, if your job is still around, they're going to go, well, we need somebody here every day. Uh, if you can't be every day, I guess we have to find somebody else who can be here every day. I, I just, I think it leads to a lot of it. And not to rehash too much from last week, but if I'm paying a school to teach my child and I have to quit my job to teach my child, why am I paying the school? That's, that's the part I'm, I'm struggling with. And it's not so much the daycare part of it is there, but as you alluded to it, it's not working for this age group. And I know people get online degrees all the time, but those are adults. Those aren't children. Children need a lot more structure from a learning environment and any breaks and any time to blow off steam and, hang out with their friends and socialize. You might not need that, you know, at midnight when you're doing your online bachelor's degree because that's how you've, you structured your life. That's not the same thing. It just isn't the same thing as what we're doing here. I don't know what the answer is, but I, I the answer is to have kids in school all week. That's the answer. Well, and that's, that's what it should be, but it doesn't look like uh, that's going to happen. And I would love to see again, Dr. Fauci (laughs) or someone in a position, a so-called position of authority, be confronted with the data and explain why it is inherently unsafe to have kids under the age of 19 together in school. And the answer simply can't be, well, because the virus is out there. Yeah, we know. We know there's, there's inherent risk, but we now have mountains of information. There's a lot of things we still don't know about this virus, but the reality is that that is the least susceptible, lowest risk demographic uh, in the world relating to this virus. And that's, that's both as to its lethality related to kids, which is almost non-existent. I know there's a handful of exceptions, but basically you can count on two hands the number of children who have died from this virus globally since it spread. And also there is very, very limited information that suggests they can transmit it either. So the question should be to one of these gatekeepers that says we shouldn't be going to school based on what? 
based on what science? And if it's merely just reflexive panic, if it's merely just, well, we can't be too cautious. Oh, yes, we can be too cautious because we are balancing, which they don't want to do, what are the costs, the human costs, not the economic costs, the human costs on the other side of this. And they just don't want to talk about it. Just just do what we say, Lemming, and accept the fact that if you don't agree with this, you want people to die. And that is an attitude that needs to be uh, very, very quickly revisited and reversed. But I don't think it's going to be. No. Uh, and and I just saw before we came on that um, the governor of Pennsylvania has said he does not want any sports in the fall. Now, he did say it's only a strong recommendation. Yeah, just like, he did not issue a royal decree no, but the, on a scroll but and the, send it uh, out. PIAA, which is the Pennsylvania Interscholastic Athletic Association, had an executive committee um, meeting today after that announcement, so we haven't heard what they've decided. Uh, for those of you who didn't know, in the state of Pennsylvania, no fans could actually attend the sporting events, but they were still going to happen with the players and officials and coaches. Uh, now it looks like he's trying to strongly recommend. And I, if, if his history is any indication, I would expect if people don't go along with it, he'll, then he'll just make an edict because that's what he does. Right. This is kind of like a dear colleague letter from the Obama administration. It would be a shame if I had to come in and shut down all of your sports. Yes, yes. Uh, and once again, you know, what's going to be thrown at – look – the, the argument's going to be, how dare you? How callous are you? You're placing sports in, in a position that's more important than human lives? No, because you're going to have to demonstrate to me that human lives are being placed at risk by scholastic sports competition. Show me the sciency data because <laughs> life is about risk. And so we're balancing risks all the time, and there is nothing to suggest that playing sports is going to increase the spread, the the fatalities caused by this virus. Again, it's simply reflexive panic mongering by saying, "Well, you know what? We just we just we shouldn't have them. Why? Because it's just in my gut. It's just not a good idea. You know, it's just children, and I can see the virus spores floating around in the atmosphere. Uh, it's just bad. It's just bad. And I'm somebody that's uh, in power. You need to listen to me. That's and if you don't, I'm going to send out the Corona Task Force and duct tape your face. Uh, so, yeah, th- this strong recommendation. Somebody needs to push back and say thank you very much for your uh, for your that. thoughts, Governor. But we've evaluated the medical information, and uh, we've decided it's okay to do that. And I believe you are correct. If that is the decision, then the next thing is going to be a royal tantrum, yeah. and the hammer is going to come down. Yeah, that's how you. His mo is pillow hammer. Um, well, so, it's not really pillow. Well, it's 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 hammer inside pillow. <laughs> it's it's the Bugs Bunny. I've got a. Here's the carrot, but it's really an exploding carrot. So right. take the carrot or I'm going to hit you over the head with the anvil. It doesn't really matter. Uh, I, I saw this article today on, from a – somebody calls it the website of, of a record uh, for the internet. And it tells you how to identify if you're a secret racist. So bear with me. Um, in, this, in, in the vein of uh, David Letterman's top ten, you might be a secret racist if – uh, the first one is you breathe in oxygen and breathe out carbon dioxide because Hitler and Trump both do that or did. Right. That. 
So That's therefore, you might be a racist. You can't refute that, Chad. No, you can't. <laughs> you, you have feet because 99.9% of racists have feet. So take that for what it is. Number three, you say, I'm not a racist. Because by saying I'm not a racist, it really means you hate people and are exactly what you say you are not. Um, you judge people not by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. It's a clear sign to your far-right racist. Yep. In the vein of Martin Luther King Jr. Well, opposite world, Martin Luther King Jr., yes. Exactly. Which exactly. is what we want. Yes, exactly. That whole uh, content of the character thing is just an alt-right scheme. It, it's a construct. Obsessive focus on... <laughs> Skin pigment is what we want. It says truly enlightened non-racist know that everything is about race. Uh, you like vanilla ice cream. Obviously, that's a Freudian slip when you say vanilla. Uh, you've accosted a random black man on the street to shine his shoes. You want to shine his shoes. Here's, here's a tough one. Who did this list? I'll tell you in a second. I'm not impressed by this list. Um, I could write a better list. You might be able to. You might be able to. I did not write it. I'll tell you that. You believe two plus two equals four. Oh, and that's not a joke. I know. That's not a joke. Please explain. Please explain the background to that one. I I can't remember the story, so you're gonna have to explain it because I I remember reading it real quickly and I can't remember Uh, something. There's some. There's some person. You know, once again within our fever swamp of academia, maybe even someone in a STEM subject who has taken the position that well, even mathematics, even mathematical equations, really. It's all about power, uh, the hegemonic, patriarchal, white system of oppression. And therefore, this is just a construct the same way that any word is a construct. There's no objective truth. If there's no objective truth, then math equations, 2 plus 2 can equal 17. And if you say that it doesn't, you're a racist. Basically, that's the, that's the position. And it makes sense. Within that worldview, of course, why would we rely on math equations any more than we would rely on anything else in a world where everything is postmodernist, baloney and that all it has to do is with the founding slaveholders. So, yep, you're right. I think, I think we need to get rid of math as well. Here's the, here's a Twitter response to that. No, the idea of two plus two equaling four is cultural. And because of Western imperialism and colonization, we think of it as the only way of knowing. Exactly. Again, (laughs) there is no, all knowledge, all language is simply expressions of power of one oppressor group that's victimizing oppressed groups. That's all it is. Uh, You smile pleasantly and say hello to people of color because secretly inside you are uh, exerting your inward supremacy. You're not smiling with your eyes, Chad. No, it's not reaching your eyes. That's the giveaway. You don't capitalize bold and underline the word black because you just write This is a terrible list. Okay. This is a terrible list. And the top one, you exist because you exist. Yeah. You are racist. This Get is a poor it. effort. Where is this from? The Babylon Bee. You know what? They're usually really good. Yeah. This is not. This is not even close to their. It's not their, their best. best effort. It's not their best. But I thought I'd uh, throw it out there in case you were wondering what you are. Now, to the meat of the subject and, and the most important things: Are we going to have a college football season? Are we going to have a pro football season? Um, well, I, I'm already on record as saying that we're going to start the pro football season and it's going to be stopped. So I suspect that a similar dynamic will be at play for the college football season. 
Uh, I know we have most of the major conferences, SEC, Big Ten, have said they're going to play only conference games or whatever. But look, the political pressure, once there is, oh my word, there's there's seven members of Alabama who have tested positive, and there's 16 members of this other team that have tested positive. Mind you, the report won't be, well, are they symptomatic? Are they sick? Are they being hospitalized? Uh, no, no, it's just positive tests. That's all we need. It's reaching critical mass. It, it may overwhelm the country, existential threat. And then what's go- I suspect what's going to happen is you'll have ruling bodies like the, you know, the corrupt NCAA who will be complete pushovers. They will then declare this is a public health crisis. You cannot have football. And then you, that will go up the ladder to governors of certain states. And so I think that this is a doomed to fail experiment, uh, both at the college and the NFL level. I, I just saw yesterday the Division Two and Division Three college sports will not be having championships. I'm not sure how they know now that they won't, they're going to play games, but they're not going to have championships. I, I don't know why exactly. Well, the uh, virus is more potent during championship games. Apparently. The viral load. I, wa- I want somebody to explain to me why conference games are okay, but out-of-conference games are not okay. <laughs> I'm confused. Please help me understand what the difference is. Well, particularly because, see, the notion of a conference game as if everyone plays under some giant tent right. at the same location. No, they're still traveling for conference games. They're still going places, other places than where they are. It's not the Disney NBA bubble. So right. you're right. I'm just really – see, this gets back to the whole, well, that seems logical. Well, no, actually it doesn't. So, for instance, the whole idea of, well, listen, if we only have three days of school, yes. it's, it's, it's less bad than five days of school. <laughs> are the kids still in the school? Yes, they are. Yes. Now, I understand that the part of that is, well, they can stay farther apart. The school's not as crowded. It, it is none of this is science. This is all complete. This is like a team of fifth graders got together and, and they're like, what do you think would be the best thing to combat? Well, well that, you know what, we'll only have conference games. Why do you think that? Well, cause the virus can't travel out of conference. So <laughs> um, if we keep it in conference, it just doesn't spread. It's all ridiculousness. It just is. Look, my thing would be just don't have football. Okay. That's, I don't agree with that, but that's a coherent position. It's so unsafe. We just can't have it. But this whole half measure, well, maybe if we wear helmets that have these face shields on them, even though we're sweating and breathing and tackling each other, uh, that'll, that'll help. Oh, and by the way, no exchanging jerseys after the game because the virus really does collect on the jerseys. Yes. Uh, that's a hot spot for the virus. So don't do that. <laughs> it's, it's all nonsense. It's all complete nonsense. It is nonsense, and I, I had that discussion with somebody. If if it's all bad, then it should all be not happening. Let me be clear, because it's going to be misconstrued. I'm not saying the virus is nonsense. The right. virus is real. Right. It's serious. My family has to take precautions. I'm high risk. The nonsense is the so-called safety measures that are being taken to combat the virus that have no medical or scientific validity whatsoever. And I'm not talking about masks. 
Okay. Even though the experts have been back and forth on masks, we can talk about that later. This, again, this idea, my story about the, uh, the fast food. Oh, that's right. Put everything in a safety bin. Let's put the football in a safety bin before the quarterback throws the ball. And then that way the virus will also shed some molecules in the safety bin. It's, it is nonsense. Yes, it is. Uh, you bring up. So um, Herman Cain died last week uh, of COVID. And it was pointed out incorrectly uh, that he got the virus at the Tulsa rally for Trump, uh, which. Wait, I mean, how, how would they know that? Well, they didn't. They just wanted to say he was there and Trump had a rally and then he died of COVID-19. Right. So obviously, that's what happened. Of course. Um, and he wasn't wearing a mask. So Ben Shapiro was talking about that, and he said, you know, I'm confused because I'm told, and correct me if I'm wrong, that you wearing a mask protects you from everyone else. So me not wearing a mask didn't give me the virus if you're wearing your mask. So I'm not really sure how not wearing a mask really was part of the issue for me obtaining the, the disease. I couldn't give it to anybody, but I could get it regardless of wearing a mask or not. It was just nonsensical, and they besmirched this man's uh, legacy. Right. Well, and again, their, and, and the, these are the same people, including our friend, uh-huh. who couldn't resist one of those um, just – you ever you remember the uh, comedian Paul, Paul Reiser? Yeah. Um, his whole he – he did a bit where it was the uh, – I'm not saying, I'm just saying. Yeah. Right? So, so this was one of these – now, I, I'm not saying – that Herman Cain died because he's a Trump supporter and went to this rally. I'm just saying that it seems like a possibility. And to your point about the, the, the myopia here, the myopic myopic view of this, did you hear our friend ever once wonder what might have caused people to get sick who were thronged in the streets by the tens of thousands protesting and rioting and burning did was there ever the causal link about hey nope. you know what you might have got sick at that party you had downtown remember when you burned the target and you spewed your viral load all over the cops you think you might have got sick by no 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 that's not possible no that's not possible so again if you're going to make these sorts of in my view um ghoulish speculations about Herman Cain and why, because you don't like the fact that he liked Donald Trump and you're not going to say anything about people who are self evidently violating every so-called important safety protocol, then we're not going to listen to you. And this is part of the other problem in the country right now is none of these people I'm talking about certain governors uh, medical experts have any credibility because they have decided to play political games with what they're telling people is a serious pandemic. But you get a get out of virus free card if you show up for the right political cause. Now, if you if you if you protest for pro life or uh, Second Amendment, oh, you're definitely going to die. But if you if you protest for BLM, you're you're good to go. You're good to go. The virus knows which side of history is the right one. Well, and and. That's the hypocrisy of some of these people, our friend included, are so anti this president that they will come up with anything that fits their whatever. He, he will put out any GOP person, former, current, whatever, who says anything negative about Trump. Say, see, 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 
They don't like Trump either. I'm not alone. They don't like Trump. You, you shouldn't like Trump either. That, that's horrible, horrible, horrible. Uh, okay, I don't want to pull out. I mean, sometimes I'm guilty of this as well. I pull out somebody says, see, there's a Democratic operative who thinks Hillary was bad. Okay, I'm probably the same whataboutism that he always rails against. But it, it just gets gets old after a while, and this is what we, we're we're used it's, to. It's the, it's the gaslighting, and we've talked about this before, but it remains it's, – it's to the sort of trolling level where they kind of know that you know that you're being trolled. Cuomo, the guy is being held up by these people, including Fauci. New York is the model. New York is what to emulate. Wait a minute. What a joke. I thought New York's per capita death rate was among the highest in the world. Oh, and by the way, lest we memory hole this, that governor forced sick people into nursing homes and thousands of people died, forced them to go there, did not permit nursing homes to turn them away, despite the fact that the people running those nursing homes were begging him not to do this. And yet somehow we should have a fathead of Governor Cuomo in our room because he is the leader we need. Meanwhile, Donald Trump has blood on his hands because just because because he's the trousered ape and the destroyer of worlds. I mean, it's it is astonishing. Again, I wouldn't have a problem with the criticism of Donald Trump if you were going to be equally vehement about a guy who didn't clean the subway system in New York until the middle of May yeah. and who killed thousands directly caused the death. Okay. This isn't speculative. This is, you put people sick with COVID in with the most vulnerable population in the country and thousands of people died. And somehow you're doing a victory lap on late night television for your leadership. Yeah. Well, they, they think that they think that we're idiots. The feds left Portland day 69 of rioting. I mean, that's all you have to say. Day 69 of rioting. What, what do you want at this point? Why, why have we been playing the game? I, I mean, I, we talked about it at the beginning. We're still talking about it. I am just, I'm tired of hearing about it. Clean up your own cesspit and stop bothering me. I just don't want to hear it anymore. Well, Seattle, and I don't, did we talk about this last week, that um, the, the city council in Seattle is now literally abol- moving forward to abolish the police. We're not defunding the police. They're going to send out, you know, therapists with baskets of flowers and uh, whatever. Uh, they also talk something about, you know, racial praxis. I don't know. I, I think, honestly, what has to happen is, as you said, they need to be left to their own devices. Uh, and unfortunately, what this means, though, is that a lot of innocent people are going to be hurt and and going to be killed. Sadly, but yes, that should happen. There, there's nothing else, apparently, that can be done to dissuade these people who are, who are living in some sort of hallucinogenic alternate universe until there are enough people that are harmed by this, that there's an uprising that says we're done. We're done with your Stalinist utopia and we're going to have to do something else because honestly where we're living now is a nightmare. Yeah. I I, I feel, I I don't know what else to do. I feel horrible for the people who are trapped there, who don't want to be part of this, didn't vote for this crap, and certainly uh, but didn't. they did. Well, so every you, that I don't think everybody in Portland voted them, for this. Most, but not everybody. Do you think that's and, true? And that's my, that's the problem is that those are the people that are going to say 
something has to be done. My livelihood of my life is being wrecked. But then they will go back to the polls and they will vote for the same people. And I don't know how you fix that sort of cognitive dissonance. If you're going to continue to put these people in power over your life, despite watching your neighborhood burn, I'm not really sure what what's what it's going to take well, to snap I, out of it. I don't think there's. I don't think they want to snap out of it. I I think this is this is uh, Seattle's summer of love. This is the we. we Certain well, the police look, chief wants to snap out. Well, you yeah. saw that they showed up her house. Yes. And, she and her neighbors had to form basically this little local militia with guns out, keeping these people away. So there are some, there are some, there are some that don't like living the same way the less equal pigs have to live. Yeah. But I don't know. I, I mean, we're so far gone and again, the larger problem is that the media simply won't report any of this. If our media was even 30-70, right? 30-70 dishonest, meaning 70% dishonesty, 30% neutral reporting of what's going on, the country would – the perception of what's going on in the country would be so dramatically different because people would be stunned at what is going on in these neighborhoods. When you read on-the-ground reports – of what these people are seeing in these cities, even people that go there expecting it to be overblown and they say, I actually can't believe what I'm seeing here. Biden, first of all, Biden would be unelectable, right? Right. Should he be, wouldn't even be permitted on the ticket. Um, but there would be, there would be a, a landslide for Trump. And, and that's, that's me at conceding that Donald Trump has a whole host of horrible characteristics who is highly polarizing, and yet what is going on is simply not reported, and that's intentional. Well, and I'm glad you brought up the media bias thing because we, we talk about that numerous times about numerous things. There was a report yesterday that Instagram had an algorithm that for months now has been pro-conservative and anti-progressive. <laughs> that proves it that the media isn't biased. Now, I want to ask you a question, Tony. First of all, who who says that I'm to accept that premise? Well, first of all, do you have an Instagram account? I do not. Okay. Neither does most of the voting public. Now, I won't say nobody, but the vast majority of voters are not on Instagram. Instagram is geared towards the under 35 crowd. Uh, who is using it. And if we look at the polling numbers in the last elections, under 35 is the smallest representative group of voters by far. It's not even close. So to say that even if that's true, and I think it's convenient to say it's a bug, and they're going, oh, see, it's a bug, but it's really biased towards uh, Donald Trump. I'm like, okay, maybe. It's really focused on people who aren't voting anyway haven't voted, won't be voting, don't plan to vote anytime in the future. So even if it influences people, it doesn't matter because it's not influencing anybody who's going to vote. So it's still got Facebook, it's still got Twitter, still got you know social media, other social media sources, you YouTube, still the mainstream media, YouTube. YouTube, yet another, yeah. yet another deplatforming uh, Heather McDonald, yes, I saw who that. is a probably the foremost or one of the foremost scholars on crime, uh, fatal shootings, 
racial issues within the criminal justice system. She she's with the Manhattan Institute. She I think she's she's politically a conservative, but she is rigorously fact driven. She gave a presentation, a forty minute uh, speech, I think for. I don't know if it was the American Enterprise Institute, and, and essentially, and, and if you ever if you've ever seen her speak, she's about as non polemical as you can get. It's just here's the data, and here's more of the data, and here's what the FBI crime statistics show. And that speech, forty minutes, was first completely taken off of YouTube, so you couldn't view it. Then um, John Hinderocker, who is a lawyer, who is one of the kind of the main guys at that organization, complained. They put it back on, but with a parental warning, right? Now, remember, this is a platform that allows the most salacious, mm-hmm. R-rated, you know, you've got people on there advocating for communism, right? You know, the New York Times allows a platform for the mullahs of Iran. So they put a parental warning, uh, basically treating it as like some sort of, you know, if you're not if you're not 18 years old, this is disturbing. They don't put those sorts of things on pro-Hamas propaganda, right? right? right. This happens all the time. Mm-hmm. We talked about last week the suppression of anyone who wants to talk favorably about hydroxychloroquine. Mm-hmm. Just you're going to be shadow banned. You're gone. People are not allowed to see this, even though these are people are, oh, well, there's this one wacky doctor. She's totally crazy. Well, what about the other thousand epidemiologists who are now using this all over the world in Europe, in India? We're just supposed to deep six them as well. Absolutely. Because it's related to the bad orange man. And they're they're playing with people's lives at that point. Yeah. Right. You're literally not going to allow people to hear medical information. Are you a doctor? No. You know what? If they don't want to take it, great. If they read some countervailing opinion that says it's dangerous and they decide, uh, I don't want to risk it, great. But the idea that you're going to prevent them from even hearing study after study that says this worked for people, again, it's it's evil. It is it is evil, and it shows you the extent to which that all of this comes down to must remove bad orange man in November, no matter what, no matter what it takes. You have to know that that's the the agenda. I, I don't care what anybody tells you. The agenda is no matter what happens. You got to get this guy out, and we can say anything, do anything, produce anything, uh, claim anything. Doesn't have to be true. Anything, silence anybody. No, it doesn't cancel have to be true. Anyone. It just has to be that the ends justify the means, and the ends to this are get rid of Trump, Lincoln. That was the Lincoln Group. I can't remember what it's called. Lincoln conspiracy. I'll call it. Oh yes, the, uh, right. Lincoln Project. The, the never Trumpers. Lincoln Project. Yeah. Uh, they're, Fine, fair enough. That, that's what you are. Don't say you're trying to save American democracy. You just want your group back in power. You want you want the status quo to go back to what it was. And, and, and maybe that's okay for some people. Maybe it's not for others. I, I'm not going to But here's judge. the thing. Why would any rational person think that the status quo is going to go back the way it was, given the current platform of the Democratic Party? See, that's what that's what these people in the Lincoln Project, where they completely lose me. I don't have a problem with someone that says, I won't vote for Donald Trump. Sure. I don't have a problem with someone that says, I'm going to actively oppose Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. There's a lot of things to oppose. But when you are now targeting truly moderate sort of wishy-washy, lukewarm Republicans like Susan Collins, and your position is basically sweep them all out of office. And I'm thinking, and you're going to do that looking at what is being proposed by the current Democratic Party, and you think this is going to return us to the status quo? Yeah, good luck with it's that. The most radical, it's the most radical agenda in the history of American politics in terms of where they want to go. Well, now, maybe you think that's great. 
Maybe you think felons voting and open borders and unrestricted abortion on demand until crowning and $4 trillion in increased taxes and banning fracking and banning guns and don't, don't say they're not going to ban guns because it's exactly what they would like to do. All of that stuff. If you think that's a legitimate platform that's good for America, great. But if you're supposedly a conservative who wants to get back to conservative principles, there's no way you can connect those dots. No. Oh, we're going to go how, – how are we going back – to the good old days or even the status quo if you allow these people to have unfettered power. They're Can you explain that? No, you can't. Rhino? That make, make sense here? You know, I, I, these Lincoln Project people, I, I don't believe that you are dyed-in-the-wool Republican in the slightest. Well, I think you're – Be clear. For me, this is not about party affiliation. This no. is not about – But that's rah, what they're claiming. Rah, we're we're rah, Republicans rah, who don't like Trump. That's, this is, you no, but I mean, in, in terms of my criticism, it's not about you must stay loyal to your party. No, Again, I, I'm more of a conservative than I am a Republican. Sure. But my point is, if you're claiming that you want to get back to the status quo and you only want to go after Trump, but this is your position to sweep everyone who might oppose this agenda out of office. Number one, you're selling us a bill of goods. You're, it's a pretext. That's not what you want. You have another agenda and it's completely incoherent because the ends that you're going to achieve have nothing to do with what you're claiming that you want. Right. Right. That's all I got tonight, Tony. You got anything you wanted to add? You no, I think next week I do want to, uh, it's interesting. Uh, I'll, I'll, if people are interested in this, there is an article that was written by uh, George Parry, P-A-R-R-Y. Uh, he's actually a really, really good writer and he's a former, state and federal prosecutor. I think he wrote this for the American interest, but it's about George Floyd. Okay. And what he takes up in that article is all of the information that we now know because of those two released uh, leaked body cams from the two other cops. And what he, and, oh, he was also in his prior career. He was the head of the Philadelphia prosecuting team that went after bad cops for police misconduct. Okay. This okay. is this guy's background. Okay. And, What's fascinating, we'll talk about it more next time, is he lays out the evidence right now. And of course, you're not allowed to say this. You're not allowed to talk about this. And, I, and this is not a defense of the, the police officer's actions, but his point is the idea that this was a murder is becoming increasingly untenable based on the autopsy and based on those videos. Yeah. You'll never hear this anywhere else. It's a fascinating article. It links to the actual transcripts of the videos okay. and talks about the autopsy and toxicology reports, and it's fascinating. Excellent. Excellent. Yes. Uh, we'll talk about that next week, but thank you for yeah, joining next us. Week I may write my own, even Ooh. though the Babylon B is good. I may write my own top 10 list because, and that is fine. I'm okay with not that. Their, their usual high standards. Well, maybe there was an off day. It was a, a new writer. I'm not sure. Uh, thank you for joining us. I'm Chad. I'm Tony. Good night. This has been a Hannah Tree production.